0: Good Monday morning, and it's really critical, if you want to understand what we're talking about today, that you listen to last Monday morning message first, all right? That said, we slaughtered a couple of sacred cows, even though we didn't want to do any damage. It You always do damage when you challenge our simplification of the scripture in a way that overcomplicates the scripture, and yes, it does go that way. The Bible is a complex book, Uh, but our God and his love for us is easy to hear. It's harder to understand, but it's easy to hear, and it's good news. And so we don't want to confuse the good news of the gospel, that good news of Christ, with a list of requirements that is garnered or harvested from a variety of books that the common person had no access to for the next 16, 17, 1800 years, and where their teachers had not even a, a, agreed on which books were which. And, and by the way, just real quick, we've done a lot on that over the last year and a half, on how the Bible came together and what it is. And we'll do some more, I'm sure. But please remember that uh, as they determined which books were in, that there's a, there was struggle. And some books didn't make it and some did. Revelation barely made it, and is still not used by some Christian groups around the world to this day, as an example. That said, whenever I would bring that up as a young man, I was quickly hushed and told that all they did in the 300s, when they said this is the canon of Scripture, was validate what everybody else already agreed about. And then I got older and I read history, and that's not true. And so what did those people do for 300 years that didn't have a simplified little track brochure version that I held up last week? But mo- here's where you I'm going to lose some of you, but I'd like for you to hang in there because there are a lot of people who listen to this every week who come from a particular religious group. And that group uh, has many divisions within it. It's called the Church of Christ many divisions and some of them actively hostile to each other. There's a county just south of me where I live in Middle Tennessee uh, or across the Alabama border, that one county has more than 40 Churches of Christ and most of them don't fellowship most of them. And so it's a, it's a very fractious group. We could say that, by the way, about other groups, but we're, we're focusing here because that group Uh, and also used to include uh, groups that are now called the Independent Christian Church and Disciples of Christ and a couple of others. They were all under what historians call the Stone-Campbell movement, uh, named after two men, Barton W. Stone and Alexander Campbell. Uh, Most people in the Churches of Christ and related religious groups refer to that movement as the Restoration Movement but there are other restoration movements. If you look up restoration movements, you're also gonna be tracking the Mormons and several other groups. So the Stone Campbell movement. And they trace their roots back. They claim that they were established in 33 AD and that their worship and their plan of salvation and their church organization was all in place in that first century and that they have restored all of that, which again, No, but I can do more messages if you need me to prove that. The founding document, as it were, would have been the Declaration and Address written in 1809 by Thomas Campbell, Alexander's dad. It is a brilliant piece of um, of theological understanding and a a plea for unity. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Would I have written it the same way? No. Two reasons. One, there are a couple of things I wouldn't have agreed with, but here's the big one. I wouldn't have written it because I'm not smart enough to write that well. And it is an incredible document. And you know, hats off to him if I wore a hat. The, um, the problem here is that the Churches of Christ will quote Campbell and will think they're, he was really great until the modern Church of Christ doesn't agree with him and then they'll say, well, we don't listen to him. So they have this love-hate relationship with him. Uh, I think it could be very well argued that the Restoration Movement or Stone Campbell Movement was derailed during the Civil War and it never came back. Uh, it, it turned from being a unification movement, uh, unity in Christ, all believers. It rapidly became very, very narrow and formulaic. And so that's a surprise to a lot of people in that group. It was to me when I first started reading and going, wait, wait a minute, I was never told these things. So today I want to address one aspect of that plan of salvation that we held up last week, um, and you probably took screenshots of it. And, And that is this, baptism. Because baptism is something that the Campbells, studying scripture said, wait a minute, this is super important. We need to restore this. And so in the churches of Christ and independent Christian churches, and in some disciples of Christ to this day, to be a member and to be thought of as being saved, you have to be immersed, fully immersed in water. Uh, it's It's called baptism. And I was immersed and I'm thrilled that I was. And I immerse others and I'm willing to immerse you. If I can get to you and I'll do it, but do you have to be baptized? Alexander Campbell had a couple of different publications in his life, and in one was called the Christian Baptist, and it didn't mean Baptist like a Baptist denomination. Back then, Church of Christ didn't mean a denomination either. It meant all believers everywhere. In fact, the terms Churches of Christ and Catholic Church mean exactly the same thing means worldwide believers, all believers in Christ. So, that said, he wrote in his, um, in his paper that was sent out all over what was then the United States, um, well, I guess still the United States, but there weren't that many states. It's, this is We're still talking about in the early 1800s, that in areas of uh, charity and such, that we should work with other Christians in other denominations. And a lady from Lunenburg, Virginia, wrote him something which has become known as the Lunenburg letter, where she said, wait a minute, you're saying there are Christians in other denominations? Well, other denominations don't even baptize. How can you say there are Christians there? And I'm gonna be talking about that today. All right, and we'll see if I need to do an extra one on this. He wrote this in reply. In reply to this conscientious sister, I observed that if there be no Christians in the Protestant sect, then there are none among the Romanists, none among the Jews, Turks, pagans, and therefore no Christians in the world except ourselves or such as us as keep or strive to keep all the commandments of Christ. Therefore, for many centuries, there's been no church of Christ, no Christians in the world, and the promises concerning the everlasting kingdom of Messiah have failed and the gates of hell of hell have prevailed against his church. This cannot be. And therefore there are Christians among the sects. That word is very hard for me to pronounce. Um, I don't think it's accent. I think it's just my tongue never could figure that one out. So I'm gonna use denominations uh, I'll, and I'll edit on the fly, all right? Now, for some of you, you're appalled that anybody would question that there are Christians in many denominations. But for Churches of Christ and to a a very large extent in the independent Christian church, they would. And there are many other denominations like that that aren't related to the Church of Christ history at all that have the same feeling. And that is, we are the ones who have restored the commands of Christ and we are the ones, if you follow this, then you're saved. And then they will generally do this kind of little fudgy thing saying, no, no, we're not saved that everybody outside our group's going to hell because we're not the judge. But then as they teach, it absolutely comes across as you are not in the church, you're not faithful in the church and you're not faithful to God unless you do and believe what we do and believe. And baptism was a big part of this. And Campbell was appalled that anybody would even wonder about this. And he even says, you know, that would mean the Christ message has failed. And if you remember what I talked about last week, this would have been the least effective salvation plan possible. When you think about how few are in those churches and how many billions are alive and have been alive and have never even heard of that church. And yet we're told that they will burn forever in hell because of it. You already know if you've listened to the Monday morning messages on hell. I don't believe any of that. I don't believe that's what scripture teaches. I believe we got a lot of that from the medieval Roman Catholic Church and a lot of it from John Calvin, but it and a whole bunch of it from John Melton in his books and poetry, but not so much from Scripture. But regardless, did you notice he also said that there are there are Christians among the Romanists, which is how one referred to Roman Catholics at the time. I don't think that's a pejorative. If that word is offensive to you and you're a Roman Catholic, would you let me know? and I'll, I'll edit it when I read old stuff, okay? Don't want to hurt your feelings. I consider you brothers and sisters in Christ. So did Campbell. When Campbell would debate Baptist, Atheist, or uh, Catholics, and he did, and those debates are still in print. They're, they're actually master classes, uh, although dated by the, the language style. He, um, he referred to them as brother and sister and made it very plain he truly believed that he would spend all of eternity with them. That kind of open-mindedness did not remain after the Civil War in that movement, not among the Churches of Christ. It did among the Disciples of Christ, uh, and they split and went a little bit further to the left than that, and I'm I'm really not qualified to speak about where they are now, all right? Because I don't know. But here, one of the main problems to come up with after this is who is a Christian? So they're saying, no, wait, you said that there are Christians among the Protestants, the Catholics, the Jews, the Turks, by that he means Muslims, and the pagans. What? And so she wrote back, well, who is a Christian? And this is his reply. Now, please remember, this is not scripture. But this is his reply. Who is a Christian? I answer, Everyone who believes in his heart that Jesus is of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of God, repents of his sins, and here is the critical phrase, obeys him in all things according to the measure of their knowledge of his will. A perfect man in Christ, or a perfect Christian, is one thing, and a babe in Christ, or a young person in Christ, or an imperfect Christian is another. I would quibble with Campbell here and say we are all imperfect Christians, but. Going ahead. The New Testament recognizes both the perfect and the imperfect man in Christ. There's no occasion then, listen to this, for making immersion on a profession of faith absolutely essential to Christian, although it may be greatly essential to his sanctification and comfort. What? Yep. Campbell said very, very plainly, we cannot make immersion for remission of sins the one thing. And we can't say that without it, you are not saved. He finds that an appalling teaching. So did Barton W. Stone. So did Mulkey. So did uh, Smith. So did all of those people there. And it, this idea of closing it down had never occurred to them. It would not really occur until after the Civil War and after something called the Sand Creek Declaration in southern Indiana that was... Um, expressly done to undo the Declaration and Address and no longer be a unity movement, but a very highly sectarian movement. And in fact, the people who crafted that declaration came from one family, and the Somers, and they ended up disfellowshipping each other, excommunicating each other, and starting papers attacking each other. Because once you start dividing from people, it becomes a habit. And you just get really good at it until you look at your fellowship circle and realize you're the only one in it. Campbell says that somebody who's not been baptized for remission of sins is absolutely still a Christian if they are following Christ to the best of their knowledge. You can say then, well, then we just need to open a Bible and show them. You know, that's the thing, isn't it? They read their Bibles too. They have their communities. They love Jesus. In fact, I have found in many churches, uh, even outside of churches, I found Muslims, I found pagans who show love better than I do. And I don't say that flippantly. I'm I'm rather upset at myself, frankly. Uh, Throughout my life and even today, that love is not as natural and overflowing part of my life as I really want it to be. When Paul talks about he has to beat his body daily, he's not talking about literally whipping it, but I get it. Loving people seems to come very naturally to some, and I've met atheists who were some of the kindest, sweetest people on the planet. And Alexander Campbell would say they are Christians and may not know that they are because they've not been taught or because, who knows, he doesn't go into all of it, but, he, this lady writes back. By the way, this lady has probably been identified as the wife of John Thomas, who started his own church called the Christadelphians. And he did it to uh, compete with the Stone Campbell movement. It, it is still in existence, but it is barely. It's hanging on. She writes back. Would you say the different Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Methodistic, I had never heard that term until I read her letter, and Baptist denominations are built upon any other foundation than the New Testament? Well, he writes, they say they are, and they formed a covenant or constitution, rules and laws for their own government and do require more or less than the Christian institutions for admission into or continuance into their communities. What? He's saying, listen, they're organized around their faith and they're trying to be a Christian faith, so they're a Christian faith. You see, in the Bible, coming to Christ isn't a matter of jumping a bunch of hurdles. He says, whosoever will may come. He didn't say, whosoever will may come if you have done all of the steps, which later books, some of them won't be written for 60 years, so wait, but whenever they're all there, then you're gonna have to hunt and peck, cause. God made this a, um, a scavenger hunt. And it's not a Bible, it's a scavenger hunt. You've got to run through there and find the secret passages. Not so secret, they're there. But just arrange them in the right order. Salvation is not an escape room that you have to figure out all the puzzles to get the door open to God. Salvation is a person. Jesus. Link yourself to him. That's what Campbell said. In fact, <clears throat> he says, um, the, there's a quote, none of the immersed, unimmersed can be saved if you're not baptized. He says that's not true, according to how you understand the term saved. For the present salvation of the gospel is a salvation in which we enter when we become citizens of the kingdom of God. But whether we can enter into the future kingdom or not, and he's, he's really trying to dance around this, but he finally says... People who have not been informed on these matters can still love God and still love doing what is right. By the way, he's not the first one to go at this in in great length. Paul does it. Take a look at Romans chapter one, Romans chapter two, and he talks about people with no law acting as if they had the law, and that God recognizes that. And then he talks about people who have the law of God and don't act like it, and God notices that too. And therefore, He says, I'll sit down at the table with all of them in glory. Salvation is much bigger than our list of requirements to get into the door. And so I'm gonna have to wrap this up because we're hitting nearly 20 minutes. I really try to keep these to 15. I'm talking fast. My wife says I talk too fast. The Churches of Christ, independent Christian churches and such are not the only ones to do this. Not the only ones to make it harder than it needs to be. I had friends that had attended Churches of Christ all of their life, I think, and then they moved into an area where the local Church of Christ was a very narrow and angry thing, and and they they just couldn't raise their kids in that, and it was a small one, and so they went to a Baptist church just to have a place to worship. It was a big church in town. They actually really enjoyed it. I believe, by the way, this is a Southern Baptist, but I didn't ask. So could have been missionary, could have been any of them, Uh, but they really enjoyed it and they wanted to participate. Well, they were taken off to the side and said, we would love for you to be members here. We would love for you to participate here, but we would have to baptize you first. And my friend said, we were baptized in a church of Christ. We were baptized for the remission of our sins in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And they said, that's fine and that's great. And we don't question your salvation. You're absolutely saved. But to be a member of this church, we have to baptize you into this church. Why do we make it harder than it has to be? If somebody's already saved, let me just put this bluntly and we'll pick it up again next week. If they're already saved, why are we, why are we making it harder for them to get into our church than it is to get into heaven? I think we're gonna to to talk about this again, and we shall. Regardless, I hope I've spoken about all of these people and the people in these groups with respect, because I do respect them, and I love them, and they are my brothers and sisters in Christ, even when they are scattered, and even <clears throat> when they're not sure I'm their brother, because they don't really get a vote. That vote's from God, and God so loved the world. All right, next week.